This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome back to the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. Today is Thursday, September 8th, 2022. I'm Jeff O'Neill here with Rebecca Shinsky, coming to you from a really wonderful website, internet entity, kind of idea cloud of book <laughs> I like com. idea cloud. Let's go with that. Yeah. You remember those cloud? What were those um, word clouds that yes. people used to have on their blogs? Uh-huh. What, whatever uh-huh. happened to those? I I don't know. I'm, I was just thinking that now when I'm like chatting with somebody sitting next to me on a plane, I can say like, I work for an idea cloud. That'll keep yeah, them from I, asking I, follow-up I, 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 I work from kind of a, a theoretical haze, really. <laughs> When you think about it. So what do you know about Schrodinger's cat? <laughs> yeah, a, mist, a mist of probability is really yes. what we're talking about. Yeah, that's word. I stopped saying I worked in publishing years ago when I figured out that mm. that opened the door for people to tell you about the book they were writing or that their uncle's next door neighbor's friend was writing or any of those things. And so now I usually say, you know, I'm the chief of staff. Have you a, gotten a media self-published company. manuscripts from friends and family over the years? Not, I've gotten several, like three. No, not manuscripts. I think I have figured out how to say no before the manuscript makes its way to me. Mm. Um, or no one has just like given me an unsolicited manuscript um, from a friend or family member, but I have gotten enough of the like, uh, you know, my husband's uncle wants to tell me about the book he wants to write at Thanksgiving dinner, or like it did used to happen to me on planes all the time, you know, in those like 10 minutes when the plane is landing and everybody's chatting all of Mm. a sudden, like, well, what do you do? And I just learned you don't say you work in publishing unless you really want to hear about the book that person is writing or that their grandma's cat is working on or or whatever. So. Do you hear the power move I use to avoid all those interactions on the plane? It's not available to you. Um, I always <laughs> sit on the aisle and I stand up because my head is like above the baggage yes. like overhead bin at that yeah. point. I mean, just in my own little sensory deprivation chamber That's... in the head and shoulders of the airplane cabin. Up there. Which it seems to me that you should get that privilege for having to suffer through being a, a person as tall as you are sitting on an airplane. I, I appreciate you saying that because <laughs> I really look forward to when I can just stand up. It's a small payoff, I think. It really is. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, coming anyway. to you from the idea cloud. Yeah, there we go. Uh, we've got a bunch of news. It's going to be a lot of shorter things this week. Mm-hmm. I do want to mention, thank you. We got a lot of people signing up for the Patreon over the last few days, a, a little spike. And I don't know if the, the holiday where we didn't have a normal show, like, ah, finally, I'll fine. I got to listen to Jeff and Becca uh, jaw about something. Might as well do it this week or people coming from for the fall draft or whatever. But I wanted to thank everybody yes, thank for you. sure again for doing that. It really, it really matters to us. And it's been a lot of fun to do. And then to to tip off that today after the show, um, that's going to go into the Patreon feed next week. We're doing our 10, we're power ranking the 10 most influential book developments that we have seen in our reading lives, kind of going back to the mid-90s, the early to mid-90s, depending if we are Rebecca or I. <laughs> and we haven't looked at each other's list. We didn't even agree upon like a draftable list of things. So we I think some not. of it will be, are you going to separate, well, just to tip it off, are you going to separate Audible from Amazon, the Amazon phenomenon, or mm. how are you going to do this? And I think that's that's going to be part of the fun too. Um, uh, to talk about a little bit as well. 
so yeah, check it out. Patreon.com Book Riot Podcast if you want to see that. I don't see any other follow-up right here. Well, I guess we should point. tease for folks since we've talked about TikTok so much on this oh, main feed. Right. Next week's bonus episode is a book club of It Ends With Us by Colleen Hoover, which I've not started yet. I suspect you haven't either. But I'm starting it tomorrow. I just okay. finished this morning. Well, a little preview of Frontless Foyer. Um, Abdurak Gurna's new novel, the Nobel Prize winner, uh, his new novel that just came out, Afterlives. Hmm. Going from that to uh, ends with us is going to be a it's a hard tr- left turn. It's a re- it's a real it's a real res- record scratch. Um, so yeah, we're going to be doing that in the future as well. Got some other stuff coming up, but go go check it out. All right, let's do a first sponsor break, and we'll come back. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Wife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the critic Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. We lost two kind of if you know, if you know writers this mm-hmm. week, Barbara Ehrenreich and Peter Straub. Neither of them, I think, in the forefront of consciousness to even people that like to read generally. Like people might know Stephen King, but they don't necessarily know Peter Straub. Uh, Barbara Ehrenreich, I, I, I guess you want to take a crack. Peter Straub... A literary writer of like horror, essentially, a, a kind of upmarket horror. Is that a fair assessment, Peter? Stroud? Yeah, I think I think that's a fair assessment, and that is the assessment that Stephen King makes in the New York Times obituary, where uh. they interviewed him. Straub and King uh, were good friends, and Stephen King says he was a better writer than I was. 
or mm. that I am, you know, in terms of craft or, or beauty, literary quality of the writing. Um, I was going to ask our readers, I have not read Peter Straub. I'm not a, a big either. reader of horror, um, but I'm interested and I would love recommendations on if I'm going to read one where would, what direction would you point me in so you can shout those out to both of us i guess at podcast at bookriot.com or patreon listeners can leave comments over there for us i much appreciate it i would like to explore him certainly yeah and then well barbara and aaron Reich, that's that's a little more on your beat too I it would is say. Or yeah. less on my beat i've read well nickel and dimed came out mm right as I was starting college and I think I read it I, I read it in class either my freshman or sophomore year in an ethics class I didn't realize the book was brand new I wasn't paying attention to that kind of thing yet <laughs> um, but it was you know it was an ethics class at a liberal arts college taught by a Swedish woman who brought her own you know Swedish socialist very liberal um, perspective and it was so this book was so eye-opening to me, I found it to be maybe one of the, in retrospect, probably one of the sort of radicalizing steps along my path from mm. being sort of a middle of the road kid who grew up in the Midwest to, to becoming someone who was very liberal um, and really understanding the challenges of what it is to live at or below the poverty line, what it is to try to work the kinds of jobs that pay. At the time, she, she made $7 an hour doing the kinds of jobs um, that she was doing. And I think in the 21 years since the Book, since Nickel and Dimed came out, which is certainly her best known work, there have been really valid critiques and calls to build upon the body mm -hmm. of knowledge that she put in there. Like she, This is a white woman who had the experience that a white woman has doing those kinds of jobs. And it would certainly be different for a woman of color or a trans person. All very, very valid. Um, but really, I think, groundbreaking work at the time to try to bring to mainstream consciousness and mainstream reader awareness um, the real challenges of living in socioeconomic, in lower socioeconomic ranges. Mm -hmm. um, and it, the book was huge. Um, it's yeah. it's what we might like in a, in a lesser writer's hands. It would be a kind of stunt journalism. Uh, and I, I think that might be a component that if somebody did this today, the the way that we think about, you know, explorations of like walk in somebody's shoes who has a different life than you. This I think if it came out today, we might be having a conversation about why not just give a book deal to someone who has lived this experience. Why did a journalist go so pretend to be these people? But for the time it was in, it was really really groundbreaking. So Aaron Reich is important to me and my own. Like this was an important moment in my own expansion of political consciousness um, and just an interesting writer in the times around and since then. I haven't followed her career terribly closely. She did have a really fun uh, sort of snarky take on um, happiness and positive thinking. That was a book that mm. I really enjoyed. <laughs> um, uh, and I, I think just an interesting thinker who who made her mark not probably not for everybody um but a career worth noting for sure and, and was certainly really important to me yeah so fare thee well go check those out um yeah peter straub recommendation i read nickel and dimed oh, five or six years ago and so it was oh, well gosh. after okay. it was well after it had its moment i or, you know it was really and i think i'd read books that follow in nickel dimed wake so it didn't mm. feel like as fresh as it would have been at the time it's like if you watch pulp fiction now right Right. if you've never seen pulp fiction before and you see it now it's like it doesn't seem that weird because or groundbreaking because so much has come in in pulp fiction's wake that you can be kind of rubber banded into familiarity when if you read it 
contemporaneously or experience something like that contemporaneously has much of an impact, but still, still very interesting. It is, and, and then things like, I guess it never got, I don't know, it never got like a film adaptation. It never did like the fast food mm-hmm. nation mm-hmm. kind of thing. Right. Um, or uh, Super Size Me or one of these. It's not, A.J. Jacobs isn't political, but he's doing like it, it, I guess they are kind of stunt things, but there, there's then this next kind of middle layer between fun, almost performance art stunt kind of books, and then stunt slash political slash, you know, um, I don't know. This feels like this felt like a real McCoy. Like this was really yes. trying to make a political statement, and whether or not the book sold wasn't the thing. It wasn't working backward from, oh, this would be a good gag, right? It was more of a almost an undercover way of thinking about it as much as anything. Yes, yeah, yeah for sure. I, I think a, I think it was born out of a, and there's some good information about this in the piece that, that the New York Times yeah. had as well about her life, but born out of a real desire to to do exactly what the book did for me, to open people's eyes to the details of a lived experience that they had not personally been part of. Shouts to the New York Times obituary yeah. writing staff. I mean, well, I'm not kidding about real. this, actually. No, no, for It's amazing work that they do. I mean, you and I know these people a little bit Mm -hmm. and still this is where we go to be like give us context and clarity about um who who these people are and i'm not seeing other mainstream places run an obit for peter straub maybe barbara ehrenreich maybe in some of the political racks but um, shouts to to the new york times (laughs) ever heard of it (laughs) uh booker prize shortlist came out we talked about the long list that was a while ago and rebecca I have been reading front list like a demon. <laughs> I know you have. And you know what? You know how many of these six uh, fiction finalists I've read? I'm going to go with zero. Goose egg, baby. <laughs> you know What's why, Jeff? <laughs> why am I doing this? What, can we quit? How do I get out of Just... this cloud? <laughs> do you want to to quit front list altogether? Do you want to quit books? <laughs> what are we There's talking too about? Many. I don't know what. What else can I do? I mean, I could have read the long list, right? I, I guess, I mean, I didn't make a Woof. point of reading the long list, but just like in my natural, what I'm interested in, what people are talking about. And, and really the only one that I passed on was Glory. I mean, not passed on, but it was on my radar. Mm. The reviews were okay. I picked up the book. I read 10 pages when I was at Powell's. And there's too many, so I kind of put it down. I'll get to it later. Which And here's a, here's a self-tip, Jeff. This is the thing we should start self tips. Things you say to yourself that you know to be true, but they're also false. Which is I'll get to it later. I'll get to it later means never. Mm -hmm. It really means if I've gotten to where I picked it up in my meat hands in the physical world and read fifteen pages, and I was like, oh, okay. I'm never what what am I gonna do? I'm never coming back to that, Rebecca. Yeah. Those those leftovers behind the sliced watermelon, <laughs> I should throw directly in the trash. As a person who is notorious for bringing leftovers home and then forgetting they exist, I second this emotion. And this it's, is not about glory. I do this all the time. Yes. There's so many the it's there's so many books in the world. And there's just so many so many. And and so many of them that are good and that we would find value in and that right. we would enjoy and then they're impacted by the re- our reading of them is impacted by all those ephemeral things of like am I in the right mood that day? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what else is competing with my time and attention? What other books am I thinking about reading? And then I think there's a, at least for me there's a little bit of I don't know if it's aspirational. There's a little like. I either want to be the kind of reader who would pick this book up or I think I should be the kind of reader who would care about this book. So let me buy it. And like maybe if 
I sit around looking at it long enough, it will force its way into my hands and I will decide. And that happens with me sometimes. They're like, oh, that sounds interesting. And I, I think I need, this is my note to self, is that if it's if I'm doing the book version of like somebody telling me a thing at a party where I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. I should look that up. But I know I'm never going to go Google that thing. I need to, to notice that and just accept it. They're just, we can't feel bad about this. There are way too many books in the world. You've read more front lists this year than most people. <laughs> yeah and and even i have reading a, about half of the at the pace that you're going this year that's still way ahead of front list that most readers are we we just can't get to all of them we just can't and if it broke a little bit differently i would have i could have had a couple like i read night crawling i read trust by Hernan diaz so some of it is just the sure. winnowing process and i probably We'll get to O. William by Elizabeth Stroud. There was, I didn't put it in the show notes, but the really nice profile of Elizabeth Stroud in the Times. You know, shout out to the Times I saw this week as well. I read it. Really, I looked that. at O. William, and then I got stuck because I have not read the first two of the Lucy Barton books, yeah. and so I'm in this O'Neill's Razor moment kind of. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I got to read those first two if I'm going to pick up this one, which is the third. And do I want to go back and do those first two? And I, I don't know. I would probably like Elizabeth Strout. I've heard good things, just never gotten there. It's just impossible. It is just impossible. Yeah, I don't talk about the double-edged nature of O'Neill's Razor because that is the other side. That is the other edge. Is now the series is done, and I go back and read the whole series. <laughs> yeah, I don't do the O'Neill's Razor thing at the start. Like, if it's the first yeah. in a series and it sounds interesting to me, I will read it. The The big thing is, like, will I care enough when the second or third or fourth book comes out to stay mm. with the series? That's the real question. Um, I think of these on the short list, I'm maybe most interested in The Seven Moons of Mali Almeida by Shehan Karuna Talaka because years well, ago— guess. Oh, okay. Sorry. He had Go the ahead. book about he had the book about um cricket that was actually yeah. really fun and whimsical, and I really liked his voice, so I might go back to that. What was your guess? I thought it was rip roaring epic. I'll oh, take well, any rip roaring. I do like to, a rip roaring. If, if you can epic. describe literary fiction as rip roaring, that's what I want. Though demerit for it's also mordantly funny, and I've done my thing about mordant uh, <laughs> on the show before. Yes. Over under on number of times they can use mordant in the citations is one, and they used it there. Also, we got one tender, one exhilarating, and uh, we got one, um, um, what was the other one I was looking at? Oh, Luminous. There we go. Uh, uh, my other favorite is Bravura. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I, I like that. Uh, so you can read the list here. Since I haven't read any of these, I've got nothing to say about them. I, I literally don't. Good um, luck to everyone. I, I thought Trust by Hernan Diaz, I could have guessed that to be the winner, though mm. I thought To Paradise was doing something similar and better, but I like them both. But that's me. Notably here, I like the Booker make, gives a little breakout of some notable facts. And here's one that I think may have also contributed to me missing these titles, even as I've tried to read more, as I have read a lot more front lists. Come on, Jeff, give yourself some credit for nothing that anyone else cares about. Half of the list is published by independent publishers. I got to mm -hmm. tell you, Rebecca, I don't get to independent publishers. I can't even get through the big five. I, I'm not drilling down to independent publishers most of the time. I, I'm yeah. just not. It's challenging, like even in the places where we surface book recommendations from within Book Riot's mm -hmm. very, you know, rapacious and eclectic community of readers and the kinds of folks I follow on social, it's it's much harder to find those recommendations. And when we do our drafts and I'm like digging through catalogs, I very rarely have time or desire to like yeah. get super deep into into the independent publisher one. Definitely a, a weak spot for us in coverage. 
Yeah, I, I'm looking at my maybes for the rest of the year, and I haven't even got through the end of November for what's coming out. I've read 111 books this year, and I've got 97 on my maybes. For, I'm not going to get to all of those. And no. there's not really there's there's barely there's there's not too many mid-sized publishers. There's some Algonquins, there's some you know, Soho's and stuff like that, but I'm not drilling down to the, yeah, the real independent I'm, press. I'm just not getting there. I'm trying a different tactic for the rest of the year where typically what I do is just at the start of the season I download a bunch of galleys for things. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm ready and and then I have stuff that's come in the mail and things I've bought because I became aware of it and I didn't have a galley or what you know what have you and then when I'm ready to pick a new book I just peruse all those options and pick one and usually that serves me pretty well but sometimes I end up missing something that I really did want to read so the tactic I'm taking for the rest of the year is a list of like the 10 or 12 that I really really want to get to and I'm going to get to those and then in between those I'm going to do the serendipity thing of either something from the galleys or something that just struck my fancy one of those like something just came in the mail earlier this week that looked great and I was at the moment where I needed a new book and it was coming out so I'll talk about it in front list foyer I was like oh I'm gonna start this tonight the number of times I have started a book on the day that it arrived in my mail unsolicited from a publisher in Mm. I don't know the 15 years I've been doing this is maybe five so but it happened we'll take it (laughs) anyway yeah the book or shortlist there's a lot of books Mm -hmm. um I don't know what to do about this again this is also the wider British Commonwealth um if we had seen, you know, once we get to the National Book Award for 2022, yeah. if I'm if I put up a big gopher egg, that's a not a thing. That's real. I just made that up because a gopher egg. eggs. It's like a zero within a zero. It's a zero of a nothing that doesn't exist. So you can't get any less present than a gopher egg. If I come up with a gopher egg for the National Book Award long list, I'm going to need to sit down. <laughs> Having read 150 works of front list this year. Yeah, it's not all it. fiction and I'm not reading too I mean that's I'm not that's not the puck I'm trying to skate yeah, towards necessarily. Right. But you you would think just because you would think. I'm I I'm reading who else is reading these books? Liberty. It's like me and Lib. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. Also go check out Lib's Patreon if you haven't. Yes. Yes. Yeah, Liberty Hardy, our longtime contributor and just great advocate of books in general has her own patreon that just launched called what's my page again and that's at patreon.com slash liberty hardy it's focused on new books i think every week you get a newsletter about the new books that came out this week it's huge it is a huge list with some curated selections and reviews from liberty and her truly one-of-a-kind voice Um, so big congrats to her be sure to check that out and go listen to her on all the books too Oh, yes. Which comes from the same cloud that we precipitate from. Um, (laughs) She lives in our idea cloud. Yeah. Let's do a break uh, and then do adaptation stuff. How about that? Yeah. Okay. Quick sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Taming Seven is an epic and unforgettable love story in the international bestselling and TikTok phenomenon, The Boys of Tom and Series from Chloe Walsh. So Tommen's cheekiest lad, Jared Gibsey Gibson, has always been a comedian, but inside he is haunted by events of the past and he uses humor to cope, hiding his true self from the world. Then you have Claire Biggs, who is the epitome of sunshine. She's always loved Gibsy, her brother's friend and her favorite neighbor. She also has always seen a side to him that no one else seems to notice, and she becomes determined to tame her wild at heart childhood best friend. 
So The Boys of Tommen series is an internationally best-selling YA romance series that has taken TikTok by storm. It's perfect for readers looking for new adult slash crossover romance, dual point of views, friends to lovers, marathon worthy TikTok books, and angsty tear jerkers. Taming Seven is published today and it's the fifth book in the series. So make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated. So Negative Space by Jillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student. But how can she be sure of what she saw? Negative Space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't, and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought-provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic-focused, and it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low-threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out Negative Space by Jillian Linden. And thanks again to W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated for sponsoring this episode. Michelle was watching the AJ Fickery trailer this morning, unbidden by me. I didn't tell her about it. She didn't know it was coming out. It kind of hit her feed. She hasn't read the book. Oh, she hasn't? That's surprising. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. She's only kind of recently got into feel-good reading. Mm. Oh, you know what's on her... You know what's on her... um, nightstand right now she's not Tell listening me. to the show currently without a commute emily henry the people we made on is it people oh. we meet on vacation yes. is that the one mm-hmm. that's the one of them um and just came in my library hold for book lovers just came in so we may have a very rare jeff michelle interesting sync reading experience here i'm um, i i have a beach trip a, i have a tropical trip at the end of the year and i think i'm going right. to save my emily henry experience for that so mm-hmm. but i'm glad that the two of you are reading two different emily henry books because now i can have double recommendations and yeah. thoughts <laughs> obviously the, the your reading choices are for me <laughs> the book that turned her back on to uh, is it escapist reading i don't know relaxing light reading i mm-hmm. guess reading reading for decompression was uh, red, right, and red, white, and royal blue, which she's read three times. Oh wow! Okay, she well, goes back Emily to the well. Read... Yeah, it's like going to the okay. spa. She goes okay. back to the well. So she's got a reread, comfort read kind of DNA. Yeah, she's happening. listened to the. I told you she listens. She's listened to the Night Circus multiple times. She goes mm-hmm. back to. She goes back to what's. Yeah, she's there for well, the vibes. I guess is what I'm trying to say. I here. think you are. This AJ Fickery trailer looks. I mean, charming as all get out. I'm not sure that I would have. I think this would this overperformed what I would put for a um, confidence index by the trailer. I'd, Christina Hendricks in, in in this and Kunal Nayar, which I, I think yeah. he's good. Um, and then the vibe is interesting uh, in its books and whatever. But I'm thrilled to see this. Yeah, I th- uh, me too. I think there was a wide spectrum of how an adaptation of this could have come out where like one end of it is closer to like a Hallmark movie. It is very yeah. sweet and you could that's have done a, it that's that exactly way. That's exactly it. That's exactly um, right. And there's certainly an audience for that, including me on the right days between <laughs> Thanksgiving and Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> but 
And I don't know that I would have watched that version of AJ Fickrey. This looks very, very charming and also very well done and that it takes the story seriously to do the charming thing, um, but not try. It's not pandering to that like sweetness and sort of treacly, uh, treacly mm. aspects that you could build in there. I will. I was thinking, actually, this is the solution to this year's Shinsky family holiday movie. dilemma. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's also not a it, the the director is not someone I know anything about. Like I looked at the um, his other directorial efforts. One was his conversations with other women, which is also hmm. was written by Gabriel Zevin, which I didn't know about. Oh, I didn't know that. So either. that's interesting as well. It looks mm-hmm. like she wrote the screenplay for Fickery. Um, so that was very interesting as well. I, I think conversation with other women. What's what's our IMD rating here? Seven out of ten, which for IMDb is pretty good. The mm-hmm. IMDb ratings tend to be sort of like bro centric. Like The Dark Knight is the best movie yeah. on IMDb. You know what I'm talking well, about. So seven for this is pretty good. And it's also kind of like how you just know most things on Goodreads are going to get three and a half stars. Yeah, right. But Helen and Bottom Carter and um, Aaron Eckert are the the, pl- mm-hmm. the the leads, and they meet at a wedding reception. And I don't know. It's pretty. If you if you like Zevin, this one's available now. And it's the same director and writer combo. So that's an interesting combination. I'd really thought interesting. about Interesting. Yeah, and Lucy Hale um, will be also starring in Storied Life of A.J. Fickery as the love interest. So. And it is not a romance, capital R romance. No. Or is it? It's not. Okay. I don't think it is. If you don't in think it is, the, then it's not. Isn't well, that the point of a capital R romance? Well, Either no, this is, is like, do I remember? This, how well do I remember the end of this oh. book <laughs> is the question here for it doesn't well, have a Well, it's not marketed after. as a capital R romance, meaning <laughs> you're guaranteed not. an H-E-A-H-E-F, yes. happy for now. H-F-N yeah. is the happy for now. Yeah. Um, but I guess maybe I spoiled it by even wondering if it was. <laughs> I don't know. If you could have parsed that uh, podcast at bookrat.com, you can have my job. It's It's available. Because you've probably read as many of the Booker shortlist novels as I have uh, at this point. Which is, as we've Um, established, a gopher egg. (laughs) This is not on here. I meant to put on here. I totally forgot till just now when I was thinking about upcoming adaptations. Did you see the White Noise trailer teaser? I did. (laughs) Yes. Am I going to have to care about White Noise now? Have you ever read it? No. You, that, that means suggest me you've never read it. I've not read it. I've not read any DeLillo. It's been on the like radar for a million years. Mm. But Noah Baumbach. <laughs> Noah Baumbach is maybe the thing that's going to make me care about white noise. Not Gerwig or Adam Driver? Come on. I we mean, got a holy trifecta. It's like the three. thing is like if Park Slope became sentient. That's what we've got going on here in this but, movie. And there's this sort of meta textual piece of like apparently this thing has been taking way too long and way more money than it was budgeted yep. to produce for Netflix. So I want to see it from just that curiosity angle. What Do you, do, do I need to read? Caveat noise? is I haven't I've read it twice and I haven't read it in 15 years, I okay. should say, because it, it came out in was it even 90? It might have been 89. What's weird is, so my point is that trailer looks interesting. I'm here for Driver. Um, to say much about what's not in the in the teaser, I guess it's more of a teaser, teaser than a trailer, is kind of get into spoiler territory. Mm-hmm. Um, I will be very interesting to, interested to see how they do this. The thing that's weird about it now, when it came out, it was not a period piece. It was contemporary. Yeah. But now it's been 30 years, so it is a period piece. And if you look at the teaser... It feels like you're watching like a Stranger Things montage somehow, like the film grain and everything is feels like very early 90s. So I don't know if that's going to bump out of it. I think anytime you adapt something that was a contemporary novel 30 years ago, 
I mean, you always have choices to make in adaptations, but this mm-hmm. one is, am I going to update it to be now so it feels contemporary, so it be in the spirit of the book, which is this is about something now, or is it going to become a period piece? And it's become a period piece, and there's like a traffic jam, and there's all these cars from the early 90s. Like, that's $2 million right there, and the wardrobe and the hair and everything else. I'm not sure. On the other hand, the book is, I think the book is amazing, and I think it's actually fallen in estimation since it, DeLillo has fallen. There was a time, probably right after Underworld came out, and I think that was 2001. That was a big brick. Franzen is Franzen was trying to be DeLillo. Let's put, mm. Let me put it this way. DeLillo is weirder than Franzen, more speculative, um, I think more difficult, not in terms of the sentence level, but it's about something else. You know, um, I, the mm-hmm. closest equivalent to me now is maybe Ben Lerner. The Ben Lerner is not quite as weird as DeLillo. Anyway, it doesn't matter. What I'm saying is it really captured a moment where was DeLillo going to be, God, I can't even think of who the equivalent one is because there's a speculative, a very slight speculative element to it. And that's the thing that stuck with me now is like, was that kind of the beginning of the inclusion of more speculative elements into oh, upmarket literary fiction? Um, what DeLillo did there, and he does it in Underworld 2 a little bit. Atwood is part of this same kind of thing at this, but I think it holds up. I, if you're a game for a read the book and then watch the thing, we should talk about that for yeah, some Yeah, I am. I just was Googling. I think I had this idea that White Noise not was also a doorstop, but it's No, that's Underworld that you're thinking of. No, no, no. It no, must no, be. No, yeah, no. I'm game. Let's do it. Yeah, I, I think it's, I, th- I would be surprised, though not shocked if you're like, what the hell? Or nah, not so much, feels <laughs> dated. It could be all of those things. Again, you're going to have the same problem that the adapter is having. You're commenting it. The book was meant to comment on the moment. I, that's my memory of it, at least. So and you can't go back. You can't go back there at this and point. Creating and creating a, a story set in the late 80s, about the late 80s, but in a way that is, I don't know, acceptable and interesting to a 2022 audience, is a, that's an interesting yeah. challenge to take on. I'll, like, I'm curious about that you know like so much of even what came out like pre-2017 we look at and read as problematic for varieties of reasons now so it'll I'll be interested in just like what did they change what did they not change I can I can be in this for 325 pages let me tell you this in in the book and I'm sure I'm sure it's going to be the same in the in the movie because it's one of the signal things that people remember Adam Driver's character is a professor of Hitler studies oh which is a which is a whole jab at the like World War II industrial complex that is a whole whole thing it's a whole vibe right there going on. So I, it's it's satirical, but also, I, I don't know, we need to talk about it. Check a, Take a look at the trailer if you haven't seen it. I think if I hadn't read the book, the Bombac-Gerwig-Driver combination is fascinating enough um, to, to take a look at. So there we go. Looking forward to that. Things that are out now. It's time for um, Swords and... Elves. Are there elves? There's no elves <laughs> yeah. in House of the Dragon. I've Dragons stolen, and elves. Uh, for our agenda, I've stolen pointy ears from a friend of mine who will be like, I don't know what they're watching in there. It's something with pointy ears. It's nice. You can throw Star Trek in there as well. So you can, <laughs> yeah. you can, because you can get the Vulcans in there as well. Uh, I'm up to date. I'm watching them both. House of the Dragon, I'm soloing. No one else okay. in my household. Kids are too young. Michelle is completely out for reasons that a lot of people out on Game of Thrones, as you might imagine, violence, sex, not doing. Mm-hmm. And I tend to skip that stuff. Um, and then my family, we dialed up Rings of Power all together and blew for the f- through first two episodes. Very family friendly for you oh, know, if you have that's good to know. All all indications there. I I mean, there's so much. Con- I think both of them are hits. Um, House of the Dragon, HBO said 10 million people watched it in the first 24 mm-hmm. hour, four hours. 
and Amazon said 25 million people re- watched Rings of Power in the first Holy cats. 24 hours. And that's a ton of people. That's a ton of people. I, I think the difference is explicable. Maybe, maybe there's a real interest difference. A lot more people have Prime than have HBO. Mm-hmm. And the thing I said is, I'm soloing House of Dragon. I added three bodies to my viewing for Rings yep. of Power. So I don't know if there's more. You can hit more of the quadrants um, in Rings of Power. House of the Dragon, it feels like a Game of Thrones spinoff. It's a little bit different. Um, there's some things I like better, some things I like worse, but doesn't feel to me to be radically different. Rings of Power is unlike anything I've ever seen on TV before. Mm. It looks like the billion dollars or whatever they spent on it. The sets, the costumes alone, did they make real dragons so they could make the dragon scale armor for the elves? I have no idea what they're doing, though. It's un- <laughs> They're on location. And for those of us who've been up with nerd TV over the last couple of years, we've gotten used to, especially on the Marvel, Star Wars TV side, if you've seen anything about how they shoot in this volume and Santa Monica, it's kind of an amazing technology. But if you've seen Mandalorian, there's kind of a similar look to it where you get a few figures in kind of an isolated environment and then huge vistas because this this technology is, is suitable for this kind of thing. In Rings of Power, they went out to wherever the river in Croatia is and had the proto-hobbits walk along this ridge. And they spend all the money on the ships and all the money on, there's this one scene where Galadriel is shipwrecked in the middle of the sea. They're on some, it looks like on some real body of water or some giant tank, um, like, uh, like uh, what's his name, Wolfgang Peterson would have done mm-hmm. uh, for, for uh, Perfect Storm. I'm not sure on the story I'm getting much from it yet. We're two episodes in. On the other hand, I don't care. I was going to say, does For it the- matter? Does it really matter? For those of you out there who may like to partake while watching certain kinds of content, <laughs> let's be careful out there. I'm just, <laughs> I mean, enjoy. You do you, but let's be careful out there. If you're watching this on a 77-inch OLED TV <laughs> with the lights down and having, an having consumed something, just watch, watch, watch what's happening. Just be careful. Uh, this is one of those warnings that might have the opposite impact of what it's intended to I was kind to. of doing a sideways recommendation for those of you out there. I find myself more interested now. Yeah, it's... And I don't know. I'm a little sad that they have to be compared to each other because mm-hmm. it's so natural. Um, but they're different entertainments. I mean, Martin is such a Tolkien freak that he created a whole universe it's not it's a joke but it's also a real line that martin gave apparently and i don't have a citation for me but like now it's the kind of thing that sounds better as a soundbite it's so good as a soundbite i kind of doubt its veracity Mm. not that he actually said it but it's how true it is that he kind of wrote game of thrones because he wanted to know what aragorn's tax policy was (laughs) meaning if you took tolkien's world and like really got into the realities of how it have to work that's what game of thrones is it's a good line (laughs) it's a great line it's too good Turns out George R. R. Martin can write a line. Um, but the thing that I had forgotten about watching a new story in Tolkien's world is it's completely unironic about fantasy. Oh, and I yeah. think even our, our modern superhero movies, and even I think it's bled into Star Wars, is aware of the, the silliness isn't the wrong word, but the outlandishness of the whole enterprise. Yeah, kind of winks like Marvel, itself. Yeah, the winkiness of Marvel especially. It's kind of fun. I like that. Mm-hmm. But 
if you wink all the time, what are you winking about? Like you can't wink about your own winking. That that's that's not something you can do. The thing about Tolkien and then the and I can't remember the showrunners names that have picked up um, Rings of Power. They're true believers. Now I'm mixing Stan Lee back into it, but like they're true <laughs> believers, and they're not trying to update it. They're not trying to modernize it. They're not trying to make it hip, right? This is not um, Haley Stanfield as Emily Dickinson. Mm-hmm. Uh, shouts, shots, and shouts to to yeah, you. Yeah, I them. hear you. <laughs> it's like we're going to do this, and people are going to talk like they're in some watered down Shakespeare mode, and they're going to wear these ridiculous, awesome looking clothes. And we're going to spend some time with dwarves breaking rocks. And if nice. you're out, too bad. We don't care. Yeah, but we're going to take it all very some, seriously. Yeah. This is this is the nerd mother earth. <laughs> like, this is the source material. This is the, the source of the Nile for nerddom. And they just are owning it. And I, I think it's that. great. I kind of love it, it, actually. Yeah. I'm really into it. Now, I'm an adult human male. The sophistication of the issues in House of the Dragon, Game of Thrones, I also respond to. But there's a childlike wonder element to Rings of Power that it's cool to tap back into. I I have to admit, it's cool to tap back into. So I'd recommend them both. It feels to me like they're kind of both getting what they want out of them. Mm -hmm. House of the Dragon has been renewed for a season, another season already. Rings of Power, I guess, has been already renewed for multiple more seasons. So this is not a sense when one has knocked the other out. Um, it'd be weird if you're into House of the Dragon and not watching Rings of Power, kind of. I, I've wondered mm. about that. Um, Rings of Power is a, sub, a superset of the House of the Dragon stuff. I, I guess there's people that are, they're there for the, the sex and the blood and the gore and swearing. Um, and that's the, the thing that got them into fantasy that they weren't into anyway. So maybe that's in a way into it. But I'm astounded that as a home viewer, I dial, I turn on my TV on Sunday night and I get these unbelievably high quality all the way around, all the way along the watchtower from every part of the production fantasy stories. And it's mainstream. More people are watching mm-hmm. Ma- Rings of Power on TV than are watching anything else. You would have told me this is 13. I'd be like, I don't know what happened to the it's world. Unbelievable. Like I, it's unbelievable. I'm thrilled. I wanted them both to be good. Some people have thought House of the Dragon, they're missing kind of the humor, I think, of the Game of Thrones world. I agree with that. If we want, to, I'm trying to figure out something I can say that people haven't heard if they've listened to other shows. I'll say this: Patty Considine is Viserys, who's the king, the Targaryen king, who's on the throne at the beginning of House of the Dragon. I'm really loving the exploration there, where it's like he just kind of wants to be a dad. He wants to make everybody happy, and let's like let's all get along. Tough for a king to do, <laughs> which I've appreciated as as a dad who wants everyone to get along. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is what it'd be like if I was a king. It would go super bad. <laughs> Which is not a shock to me, but oh, this is how this is the particular nature of the bad going mm. uh, that would happen here. So, yeah, if 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 you need if, Rebecca, if you've had something in your pantry you've been looking to use, <laughs> and in a free hour, put the lights down low. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm smoke also smoke rings getting of power. Smoke smoke rings. If there it is. <laughs> If we run really low on content, we can have a segment about that after the fact. <laughs> a that's true be after for dark. Patreon only. Yeah, that's good. Patreon only. Fascinating. Well, thank you for the updates. I'm, you know, I'm yeah, out. Yeah, no on, problem. Not even out on Game of Thrones. I've never been in on Game of Thrones, so I wasn't going to start now. Just missed that boat, and I'm fine with it. But Rings of Power, I've been curious about because um, I did, you know, 
I have a lot of affection for Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. I watched all the movies and I was kind of like, am I going to watch a TV show of it? But then all the reviews started coming out talking about how gorgeous it was. This feel I'm getting my booster shot tomorrow. I there got a, you go. I got a Saturday where I'm probably going to feel kind of cruddy. I think this is going to happen. Yeah. Um I, we're, I'm jumping down. We can do we have to do one more sponsor break then we'll do a little mop up. Um there Amazon has done a 3-day delay for reviews of shows and movies. Basically what's happening with Rings of Power is that the the dummies are protesting women and people of color being front and center in Ring of Rings of Power essentially mm-hmm. this old horse I don't know what you do about user reviews. Amazon doesn't either. This is the first time I've seen Amazon do this. I don't remember them doing this for yeah. anything else. Yeah. No, I think, and this is like a, they haven't announced the policy, but it is a new thing that's in effect where you can't review bomb the thing before it comes mm. out. Like it, there's a three day delay. It seems where very reasonable to me. It does. And I was thinking about this. I was reading the piece about it and, think, and thinking about how we've also seen review bombing happen in the world of books. And then the other end of it where people with, you know, big Twitter followings would say like, my, my new book is coming out soon and please go give me a five-star rating on Goodreads because it will help me. And then they get these positive reviews from people who haven't read their book at all. And some of this is mitigated on Amazon now by the little indicator of whether the yeah. review is from a verified purchase or not but that only does some of the work goodreads doesn't have a you know a purchasing feature where they could do this and i was just like oh a a world where you can't post a review of a thing until the thing is available in the world (laughs) makes a lot of sense and would be interesting to see like i know folks post reviews on goodreads after they read galleys but like the percentage of readers who have access to galleys in the universe of people who Right. And the universe of people who yeah. use Goodreads and who buy books approaches zero. And if they if those people really wanted to post a review of a galley they read, they could wait until the book had been published. I don't even necessarily need a three day delay, but the um, the ability to sway uh, for political reasons or otherwise, um, mm-hmm. how the reviews show up of a thing before that thing is even out in the world. That's not a great service to people who are trying to find, you know, the next thing to watch on TV or the next book that they're going to read. So I just thought that was interesting. And I was like, oh, I wonder if they'll ever do something like that with books or what would it be like? Um, Just got my wheels spinning. I thought it was an interesting thing to see. Yeah, I'd say this to all the people review bombing this because you're unhappy that there's a black hobbit. Um, You can believe in hobbits. (laughs) Yeah. To quote Michelle's father, a phrase I picked up him, go jump a stump. That's that's what you can do. (laughs) That's a good one. Sponsor break. Here we go. Let's. We got some good news in the ongoing war about obscenity and banning and other. Speak, mm-hmm. Speaking of jumping stumps, um, one stump that got jumped is this obscenity case over g- gender queer in Virginia was dismissed. I would say with extreme prejudice by the judge. It sounds <laughs> yeah. like yeah, the judge comes as close as possible that a judge can to being like, we all know this is bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, this is the jurisprudence equivalent of an eye roll, it feels like, coming down mm-hmm. from the bench uh, for this one. So that's good and maybe has now de-slipped that particular slope. Um, it felt like we were on a slippery slope there, but this seems like we got some friction yes. to that particular slippery slope. Shouts to Nora Roberts, who um, – there's a Michigan library. These sh- All links to show notes, bookwright.com slash listen. Um, there was a Michigan library that was defunded over LGBTQ titles, and she came in over off the top rope – with $50,000 to this mm-hmm. library. So there you go. I, and, and, and then the GoFundMe at the at time of this 
uh, the time of the publication, this was written by one of our staff members, probably Erica or Kelly, I'm not really sure, maybe Danica too. They're on this beat. Um, this was August 30th when this post went up, and the GoFundMe had crossed 100K. Uh, if I click on it, what do we think it's going to be on now? Ooh, I don't know. Oh, we have Is a it? dead link. It's a dead link. It's okay. Uh, live, live surfing the internet. That's not. What we're oh no, I've got a live link. Um, it's at two hundred and sixty-one thousand dollars out Good of two hundred forty-five thousand dollar goal. And yeah. when when Nora Roberts made the fifty thousand dollar donation, she noted that that's a, which this is news to me. That's the cap that you can donate <laughs> into one GoFundMe um, is fifty grand. But she left a comment saying this was the cap, so I donated the fifty thousand. But if you don't meet your goal, let me know and I'll I can come mm. back in. Um, so they are they've beat their goal, um, and you know efforts have succeeded. We love to see it. Um, let's see. Let's do a quick front list foyer. You mentioned, yeah. what, what you mentioned before? Um, the one that I, that just came in the mail earlier this week and oh, I yeah. started that day. I haven't finished yet, so I won't fully talk about it, but mm. it's on the rooftop by Margaret Wilkerson Sexton, um, ah. which is, it's really great so far. Um, set in the early fifties in San Francisco about a family of black women. The mother is, um, working with the three daughters who are all in their twenties to try to get them to be a famous girl group. Uh, and so like last night I was reading a scene where they're performing at a club and Billie Holiday is also performing there uh, and the really wonderful writing um, an interesting story that rotates between mom's perspective and the three daughters and um, sort of in their individual lives the things that they want sort of pushing up against this dream that their mother has for them um, it was I'd seen reviews of it. it it's the current Reese's book club pick it's on the I think up upper end of the upmarket commercial huh. literary kind of thing there's some gorgeous sentences I'm into it. Um, cool. Other recent highlights, I really enjoyed The Fortunes of Jaded Women by Carolyn Wynn, uh, which is also a multi-generational. I love a multi-generational story. You do. We, we know this. Uh, but we know several, this. it's about um, several generations of women in a Vietnamese family that were cursed like five generations back. And the, according to the curse, the idea is that the women in these families will have unhappy marriages and they will only have daughters. And it is sons that are valued in sort of the mm. hereditary lines of these families. So we get the backstory and then the... Um, oldest generation is three sisters that are still alive that live uh, near Los Angeles and then all of their kids and there's a whole bunch of other and all these kids are daughters too so we're in their lives moving between their relationships and the ways that they're struggling and there's a fortune teller who predicts that one of those daughters is going to be the one who somehow breaks the curse that was put on their family um, so that was just it was super enjoyable really also really well written I want I want to see that on screen and then my first reading of um, one of our one of my picks from our fall draft, I read "If I Survive You" by Jonathan Escoffery, which is big uh, debut sort of it, it's short stories. It's functionally a novel in short stories. They're all about a family of um, Jamaican immigrants. Both the parents immigrated, and then the kids are first generation, uh, and it, it moves in between timelines and about their experiences both trying to make it living in Miami and just dealing with the kinds of stuff that families deal with some really great observations about race and class and the immigrant experience and also some really gorgeous sentences I'm kind of I'm on a roll here I think I came out nice. of my like summer where I was kind of just burned out on being a person and I watched a lot of tv and I'm in a good mm -hmm. I'm in a good book zone 
Where are you? Good. Uh, let's see. I'm, ju- I'm 50 pages away from finishing Afterlives, which is set in World War. It, it's set in Africa. Um, I, I'm not exactly sure I am a lot of the time. It, I think maybe on purpose, but <laughs> around somewhere in Zanzibar. Okay. But the characters are Afri- the main characters are Africans who get caught up in the British or, or World War One as it plays out in Africa. So as you might imagine, uh, intense colonial presence mixed with the World War, things go great for everyone most of the time in this book. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. it really works Light, well. My first easy. time reading Gurna, um, very good. It's a slow build that has a lot of macro stuff in it, so I'm learning a lot, and there's worlds, there's words and worlds that I don't really know, and I've had to kind of let the, the book teach me to go along with it and get the set setting. But it's really come to a point of following these two characters from different places, and they collide in the end. And I'm finding myself very emotionally invested now. Mm-hmm. When, frankly, the first 100 pages, I was feeling not emotionally invested. Oh, it gets up, There's a lot of places, a lot of names, um, and I was feeling dislocated, but I stuck with it. The writing is very admirably spare and straightforward. Mm. You're not going to pick out a sentence. You're like, what a beautiful sentence is. But it's so lean and economical that it's really remarkably clean writing, um, which I, you know, it's interesting to see that. It's not it's not a, a current mode in literary fiction, especially to be very to the bone. That's um, true. Have a, lot of, have a lot of information and detail but not try to f- put a little zhuzh on it as you do it. Um, so that's been very eye-opening. It makes me interested in his back catalog, and I can see why, frankly. Um, he was awarded the Nobel Prize. I finished Kelly Barnhill's When Women Were Dragons last week, but I think I need to wait to t- say anything about it. Okay. I'm not sure. I, I think I intimated, not intimated, I said last time that I was in the middle of it. It's an unusual book for the premise, which is at one point in the 50s, a bunch, thousands of women turned into dragons. It did not go the way I was expecting, though I don't know what I was expecting. Hmm. There's also a lot more metatextual pieces, like other documents, like a history, a uh, uh, scientific journal, uh, a congressional deposition that are all built in to make it feel more realistic. That's one one time, one thing you do with bringing additional fake texts into this fake book is to make it all seem more real, weirdly adding more fakery to it. And that's storied life of AJ fakery um, is to <laughs> make it feel like it could have happened. And I'm not sure it was successful. I'm not sure what the book was or wasn't trying to do. I'll say this. It did not go the way I was kind of expecting, but I'm not sure what to say about it. But it was it was interesting. I'm not surprised. I thought it maybe would sell more, mm. but the nature of the book is such that people aren't get, book club members are not recommending it to each other. Okay. They're, they're just not going to. It's not neither good nor bad. It's just not the kind of thing that gets recommended. Even, you know, the change is much more recommendable to your book club. Okay. Um, and it has much more of a commercial fiction cover than maybe – it feels more literary fiction, even though the premise sounds – I don't know. I, I'm, as you can hear in my voice, I'm a little confused about – not confused. I've got a lot of thoughts about it. Um, I need a book club. Weirdly, this book club, non-book club book is the one I need a book club to talk about <laughs> with to make sense out of it. And then my listen right now, I'm just, I just finished on the drive to work this morning, Rogues uh, by Patrick Radden Keefe. Oh, um, how is that? I know everyone's going to be shocked to hear that a collection of a essays New, by New a New Yorker. Yorker writer was something I really enjoyed. <laughs> Patrick oh. Radden Keefe, probably best known for his enormous, monumentally awesome profile of El Chapo, 
mm-hmm. um, which he was best known for. And then the, the, the profile was so good that El Chapo contacted Keefe about writing, ghostwriting his memoirs, which is an amazing <laughs> flex am- amazing. for a New Yorker, New Yorker writer. The last essay is on Bourdain, which I didn't realize, oh, I which is had- interesting to read now uh, or like listen that. to now. Yeah, I've had that audiobook loaded up for a while for like car time with Bob. But hearing that, I'm definitely absolutely just, uh, at least going to go listen to that last one. I have to admit, I skipped the Trump chapter about Mark Burnett and Trump. I can't, I can't well, do it. I'm just not into we it. We got to limit that content. But there's a line I'm jealous of uh, that he writes about Bourdain, who says he's an Apollo. Um, He's a he's an Apollo playing Dionysus in drag, which is an Ooh. unbelievable characterization of Bourdain. <laughs> um, though this all this was written several years before Bourdain, maybe maybe six or seven years before mm. Bourdain's death. So it's interesting. This was, as we who know Bourdain, this was a contemporary view of Bourdain, and how much of Bourdainness Bourdain was performing versus being is a fascinating question. It really is. It's a really fascinating question that I think we're still wrestling with the movie Roadrunner and then the oral history and then World Traveler. It's like how much of it was playing the part and how much of it was who he wanted to be and who he was authentically and what does that even mean is really fascinating to see. But mm-hmm. that a- Apollo play, playing Dionysus and Drag a good was line. a fascinating line. Um, other really good stuff about insider trading. So Keith is writing these profiles but especially of people that are on the edge. I thought the one that was newest to me, I don't think I read it in New York when it came out, was this proof, proof, profile of a woman named, I think it's Julie Clark, her last name is Clark, who is the world's greatest death penalty defense lawyer, essentially. Mm. Fascinating pr- profile. Um, it's This is great dad slash Rebecca book territory. It's, it's really wonderful. Ant book, can we call it ant book? I feel like maybe that's the phrase I'm looking for. Sure. Can I do that? Is Let's that do it. Yeah, so those are those are my picks. Um, I'll talk about if anyone's out there read when 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 women were dragons. Shoot me an email, podcast at bookriot dot com, and tell me what you thought. Maybe I can use that too. Maybe I can maybe I can um, hermit crab into your smart <laughs> thoughts about uh, what's going on there. Uh, Patreon coming up, bookriot dot com slash listen for the show notes as always. Podcast at bookriot dot com for email thoughts, concerns, questions, little birdies. Um, shouts to Baker and Taylor who have been struggling with another ransomware attack. Uh, we talked about Macmillan. I don't know what's going on. I need a New Yorker profile article yeah. about ransomware hackers. Baker and Taylor were down for like three weeks. Couldn't take money. Mm-mm. Couldn't do anything. Tough beat. <sighs> Rebecca, thank you as always. <laughs> have a good one. Bye.